This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to it once again. Welcome to this uh, Thursday edition, February the 15th of the uh, Jeff Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you are consuming your podcasts. Uh, the headline story of the day, yes, we're going to talk a lot about Yarmo Kikalainen, now ex of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, they dismissed their general manager earlier today. And uh, in a really, you know, in, in a very curiously phrased press release, um, they will, uh, the team will go through the process of selecting another general manager or rather the next general manager for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And why do I say that that's curious? Well, a couple of different reasons here. One, uh, we should mention John Davidson will take over the general manager's duties um, while the club goes through the process of hiring a replacement. Now, that's a very unique way to phrase this. It doesn't say who will lead this process to find a new general manager. It doesn't say that they will begin the process immediately to find a new general manager. John Davidson, along with the team's hockey operations management team, will assume the general manager's duties while the club goes through the process of hiring a replacement. That will be grist for the mill when Elliot comes on in hour two. He's at the uh, Philadelphia Toronto skate right now. We'll talk to Elliot in uh, in about an hour's time. Here, lots on the Blue Jackets as I mentioned. Kristen Shilton's going to stop by. Aaron Portsline will have more at the bottom of the hour about what has happened, uh, how did it happen, why did it happen, and what is next. Uh, for CBJ. In the meantime, Matt Marchese, uh, we'll throw it around here before we get to Kristen Shelton. Uh, you know, some will say this news comes too late, uh, that this uh, the die had probably been cast when Mike Babcock went nuclear in the summer. Uh, but nonetheless, here we are, February 15th. Yarmo Kekalainen is out as general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. There's a number of different candidates we can go through, but one thing is sure, this will be a very desirable job for a lot of people around the NHL, maybe not right now. Like right now, you know, they're capped out and they're at the bottom of the Metropolitan Division, not anywhere you want to be. It looks bad. It feels bad. It's not a good hockey team. And you have the goalie asking out. And we'll see what happens there. But when you look at the future of this team, and again, the Blue Jackets over the last however many years, as much as they've tried to bring in the Line A's and the Provorovs and the Goudreaux, this has still been a team about the future. There's a lot of really good young prospects on the horizon for this squad. Nonetheless, uh, your initial thoughts on, on hearing the news today. It's just the timing of it, Jeff. Like my, I, I always, I always wonder yeah, about. Why? Well, there's, I wonder about two things when it comes to GM firings because we've seen them go both ways. We've seen one where a GM goes through uh, a trade deadline and the the GM gets fired like a couple weeks. I think it happened to Chuck Fletcher actually. And then now we see this a mm-hmm. couple weeks before the deadline. If you had any inkling that you were gonna fire this person, I don't think anything changed in the last two weeks with Columbus. Like this, they probably uh, had an here, inkling. Here, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Hmm. Uh, I was going to say, here, here's what I wonder about that. I wonder if, because I'm, I'm with you, normally general manager dismissals happen at the end of the season. That's normally when that type of business um, gets done. But what this maybe whispers or winks to me is, you know, did Yarmo Kekalainen have something that he brought to the organization by way of trade? that the organization didn't want to do and did the organization say to itself, and this would include the owner, this would include Mike Priest, this would include John Davidson, did the organization say, no, 
Yarmo Kekalainen, we're not going to allow you to do that. I don't know if it was a trade or if it was a decision. No, we're not going to allow you to do that. And then moreover, if we're not going to allow you to work as a general manager and make the moves that you see fit, what's the point of going any further? Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen this before in, in situations in the NHL where you say to yourself, you know, uh, this general manager is not being allowed to make trade make make trades because they're on very thin ice here, or you know, they're going to get dismissed at the end of the season. Listen, if you're not going to let your manager work and do his or her job, the best thing to do is fire that person, let that person go, bring in the replacement, bring in an interim. But if you're not going to allow the general manager to do their job. The best thing to do is relieve them of their duties. That's, again, this is not based on anything empirical, anything that I know. This is just what I wonder about because I'm like you. Here we are, February 15th. Why now? Just a couple of weeks in advance of the trade deadline. Why are they doing this? The only thing that I can think of is there was something Yarmo wanted to do that the organization said, no, we're not going to allow you to do this. And moreover, if we're not going to allow you to do this, what's the point of continuing? That's how it feels to me. Yeah, and, and the trade deadline is big for a lot of teams. Now, I, when you look at Columbus's cap situation and you look at the guys that potentially could be traded, it doesn't feel like Columbus is going to be super active, maybe, you know, maybe likely not making any big blockbuster deals. So, you know, maybe you could let Yarmo finish out the season. But the my thing is, is like, okay, I, 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 can, I can see what you're saying about, you know, they he handed them something and they didn't want to do it. But... This all start like this process of evaluating and and really evaluating Yarmo Kekalein and started after the Mike Babcock thing. And are we really going to yeah. go now? Everybody signed off on that, so that's not all on Yarmo. So I don't want to put that as you know paint that picture. But it was that it was you know signing. Damon Severson, or we'll sign and trade with Damon Severson, bringing in Provorov and bringing in all these guys. And now we're looking at it going, well, hold on a second. We're spending all this money. We're still not very good. Other guys that you've brought in, whether it be a Patrick Lyonair or Johnny Gaudreau, that stuff has not panned out as of yet. So yes, that evaluation process had already started. But my thing is, is like, even if he presented something to them and if that's what the tipping point was, to me, that looks really mm. bad on the organization because it's like if that was the straw that broke the camel's back and you weren't going to let him go through deadline because of that, then the process of evaluation is wrong in my estimation. So John Davidson, and uh, Davidson can't do the show today. We're hoping to get him on tomorrow. Uh, it is a busy day. Um, we, have a couple of, we have a couple of clips here from John Davidson's press conference this morning. Let's, uh, if Lance can get these queued up here, our producer David says just sending this to me on the go. This is, um, do, 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 do. let's do the uh, clip number two about uh, the press conference, why he made the move now three weeks ahead of the NHL trade deadline. Lance, if you have it, fire it off. John, you're three weeks in the trade deadline. You're yep. a couple weeks after a long break in the middle of the season. Why does, why did now make sense to make this move other than the after the season or during that long break? Yeah, we, we've, uh, well, one reason is because I had back surgery and I was out of commission for some, uh, some time. And uh, I know I've certainly done my best to stay in touch with everything, but uh, I haven't been around um, physically. We uh, talked with Mike. We talked with uh, our ownership. And this is the, the uh, conclusion we came to. We, uh, we know what's going on regarding the trade deadline three weeks away. Everything's been documented. Yarmo, in talking to Yarmo yesterday, and it was difficult, Yarmo's, um, he's a very professional person. 
and we talked even about things that he's discussed with other teams. It's all right there. Anything we need, all we do is pick up the phone and call him. He's great. Okay, so that's John Davidson on why he made the move, uh, saying he had back surgery, has been out of uh, out of day-to-day touch uh, with Yarmo Kiklain and, and the entire organization, and that is part of the affected timing here. The Mike that he refers to is Mike Priest, by the way, uh, and I do I would imagine that ownership would have a big say in this one. Anytime a general manager gets removed or anyone at that level, president, whatever, uh, the owners are, are very much uh, involved here. Um, so uh, a couple more things, Maddie, before we get uh, Kristen Shilton from ESPN aboard and bottom of the hour, Aaron Portsline, who covers the Blue Jackets um, and is the finest at it. Uh, he'll stop by at the uh, bottom of the hour, Elliot, in hour two. Um, you know, one of the things that we should probably go over here is, you know, the list of candidates and why this is a desirable job. Like you might look at the Columbus Blue Jackets if you're a casual hockey fan and say like, Oof, who wants this Gordian knot of the salary cap? And, you know, what are you going to do with uh, with all of these contracts? Uh, you know, they're they're right up against the salary cap here. They can't do anything. They've taken along taken on huge commitments. It's going to take a long time before all of this gets undone. Um, now, make no mistake about it. I think we're all of the firm belief that this whole thing is going to get built around Adam Fantilli. Thank you very much. And probably David Jurasek uh, as well, the defenseman they, they selected in the first round. Uh, I would throw Kirill Marchenko, uh, Dmitry Voronkov, Kent Johnson into that mix as well. Jordan Dumay, uh, Danton Matejchuk. So if you are a manager who knows how to work with developing teams and how to complement developing teams. Like it's going to take a really, really, it's put it the it's going to take a general manager with a lot of energy. It's going to take a general manager who's young and isn't shy about rolling his or her sleeves up and getting to work because there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done here in Columbus, but this is still a very desirable job. And I think when you have a look at the prospect pipeline and who's coming and the quality of athlete and hockey player involved here, this could be a really good team. I think the main problems are at the NHL level with a lot of these contracts, Maddie. Yeah, I would agree. And then when you, you know, you look at some of the the names that have been out there in terms of up for GM jobs before, um, if you do a quick hockey mm-hmm. DB search, you will find that Matthew Darsh at one point played in Columbus. He would be one of those young and up and coming guys that maybe he would like Yep. A GM job. Again, we're not going to know this for a bit, but I agree. It's going to be someone who's going to have to have a lot of patience. And um, not that all, not that every GM is not smart, but there are some that we think, well, sometimes they make mistakes. This is a job that not only is going to require a lot of smarts, it's going to require a lot of finagling with the cap and trying to make things work. I look at the group that they have coming up with Juracek already there, with Fantilli already there, and... I mean, I don't know. I'd be I'd be pretty intrigued by this job. I looked at this team and thought they would at least be a lot better than they were last year and be around the playoffs. It just hasn't gone there. Um, they haven't really gotten the goaltending this season, and a lot of guys have underperformed. I still think that at the at the root of all of this with the group that they have coming up and some of the other players, I still think that there is a good team here. It's just a matter of kind of mm-hmm. filling in the gaps, and let's face it, these these guys need experience, so that's where I look at this job and say, yeah, I would be very intrigued if I was if I was a someone looking for a general manager job. Also, there's one of 32 available, right? Like that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, when these jobs come up, sometimes you might not have a choice. 
Uh, just the dashing off a, 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 a quick list this is just off top of the head outside of some of the more obvious candidates. Like there'll be a lot of names that get bandied about that you've heard plenty of different times. And a lot of them certainly will be interviewed. Um, I would wonder about people like, um, Jason Carmanos with the Buffalo Sabres. I would wonder about Bill Scott with the Edmonton Oilers. I would worry about, I would, I would worry, I would be uh, curious about Josh Flynn who has been with the Columbus Blue Jackets himself for a number of years. Uh, that could be a good decision right there. Um, Botterill's name will come up. Ferguson's name will come up. But the one that I keep coming back to uh, was one of the finalists for the Chicago Blackhawks job, and that's Eric Tulski with the Carolina Hurricanes. This is, this is the job for someone who's highly intelligent. Right? Don't you get that sense? Like, There's a lot of balls in the air here with the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is someone that's going to have to navigate a lot of different and choppy waters here. So again, like I mentioned, it's going to take someone who's really smart, who has a lot of energy and a lot of patience and um, is probably ready for this shot. To me, uh, uh, the, the one name that I keep coming back to is Eric Tulski, who I think we all look at and say, you know, one day he will be a general manager in the NHL. Uh, was one of the final few with both the Chicago Blackhawks and one of the final few with the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. It's just a matter of when. With Tulski, uh, I wonder if this might be the time now uh, if the Columbus Blue Jackets do decide to go that direction. Meanwhile, the other news, Maddie, out of Columbus Stadium Series. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> uh, Columbus against Detroit. <laughs> that was supposed to be the big news around Columbus. Okay, here we go. Oh, by the way, we're firing our general manager. Sorry. Sorry, marketing departments. Uh, but this one's going to kind of blow up the, uh, the the big story there. But yeah, Columbus and Detroit for uh, Stadium Series 2025. I just hope... That uh, that Detroit dresses in Wolverines colors, oh. <laughs> and the Blue Jackets look like Ohio State to make it look like a football game. I know that I know that tickles you under the chin, Maddie. Uh, it does. Um, could you imagine the Red Wings wearing blue? Oh man, that would be yes. That, that yes, w- I can. Uh, I mean, well, anything's possible yes, today, you know Jeff. You can. A- anything is possible oh. in today's day and age. Uh, that would be fantastic. Just like the 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 maize and blue. With the Red Wings logo yeah. on the front, so they have to be called the Amazing yeah. Blue Wings yeah. or something like that. Whatever, that day. whatever <laughs> well, you, you got, you got to do. As just, long as it, as just long go as go for it that works. look. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it'll Call be whatever. This it'll is Ohio be State versus Michigan. Yeah, it'll be really good. Um, those again, I like the spectacle of it. The game is whatever. Here's the here's the biggest hope, Jeff. You hope that both of those teams okay. are good at that time. That's what you hope for because when you're when you're equating it to uh. college football. And the I, rivalry between I the know. two, generally speaking, they're both really good, um, especially lately. Maddie, I Maddie. know. I know. Maddie, I, I love you. I love you. No, Columbus not going to be good. <laughs> We're trying. You, We're trying. We're trying to sell this thing. <laughs> Columbus ain't going to be good next year. All right. Uh, more on this with Aaron Portsline at the bottom of the hour. More on this with Elliot Friedman in hour two. And now more on this uh, with a good friend, Kristen Shelton from ESPN. How are you today, Kristen? I'm good, thanks, Jeff. How are you? Uh, good. Pleasure having you on board once again. So the the big news of the day: there is a vacancy amongst the 32 general manager positions in the NHL. Out is Yarmo Kekalainen. In is a big question mark. And you know, one of the points that I was trying to trying to make off the uh, off the top of the show, it was a very curiously worded press release. Normally when you see press releases when a manager is dismissed, you know, one of the lines, the obligatory lines is the search for a new general manager will start immediately. 
This one was, you know, JD will uh, assume the general manager's duties while the club goes through the process of hiring a replacement. Not saying who's in charge of this. Uh, not saying that the uh, the process begins immediately. Nothing like that. It seems very obvious that uh, they will take their time. They're not going to rush into any big search, which leads me to believe that the people that they have in mind are already occupying NHL positions. Was there? Am I reaching here, uh, Kristen, or is there? Do you think there's some there there? No, there were some alarms for me as well. Reading that, I thought the um, designation of Davidson and the management team will be carrying on in the. Uh, absence of Kekalainen, and so it, it wasn't as if there was just one person that was sort of taking on mm-hmm. this responsibility. And that's what kind of stuck out to me as well is that what is this going to look like? I mean, are they going to make more changes to the front office? Is that why you wouldn't want to say right now we're going to immediately look for uh, a replacement because they know that this is just one domino that's going to fall and there's going to be a total rehaul of, um, you know, of staff there. And, and if it really is about, you know, maybe targeting um, some people who are already employed around the league, maybe you're waiting to see if someone else maybe is unseated from their job over the next few weeks uh, as the season progresses. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't feel like a very straightforward plan at this point but maybe it's not maybe this is just the first step uh in that process for them but i just you know thought it was a bit surprising even at this point that kekalainen has really Mm. been the architect for 11 years and where they are at right now he has had good success but i guess it it felt like at this juncture they've got to kind of make the most of what they have in in this roster and he just couldn't get it done did you, um, were you, I mean, I'm counting myself as one of these people, so I'm not excluding myself from this conversation, but um, did you feel that this was sort of the end of, a, of an inevitability going back to when Mike Babcock self-immolated in the, uh, in the offseason, that this was, this was headed towards this inevitability? It really did feel at the time that because Kekalainen had gone after Babcock, brought him in, after what had been revealed about Babcock and his relationship with players uh, in the past. I mean, you were really putting your faith in somebody and then it backfired. And it felt like if the Jackets still had a good season, if they were able to rebound from last year and you kind of forget that that happened and and you think, okay, well, Pascal Vincent, he was the right guy to put in place here to sort of smooth over that situation. But you've made the wrong call obviously with Babcock and then things haven't gone well at all in Columbus this year and it's just at some point I mean how much rope can you give a guy right like and it and it's not even just when you think about with Babcock you think why have the Jackets had so many injury problems to their top players over the last few years is it the programs in place in Columbus is it that there needs to be a change in staff in Kekalainen, just couldn't see it, that he was too attached to it. Like, there's all these questions you could now bring up, and I'm sure those will be discussed over the next little bit as well. But it's it's been um, definitely a tough couple of years, and this was supposed to be a turnaround for them with Babcock. That mm-hmm. didn't work. Kekalainen's made some calls that just haven't worked out, and this, unfortunately, is where it just kind of ends up for him now.
You know, I look at this. Uh, I look at this position now vacant, and again, like uh, we don't expect anything soon or soonish. Uh, to your point, you know, John Davidson and the management staff, which we should throw in there, will include Josh Flynn, will include Mike Priest as well. Uh, will be running the day to day and making the uh, the the manager decisions here. Um, but the the point that I was trying to make off the top of the show today was, you know, when you consider the Gordian knot of salary cap issues uh, that this team has. It's never good to be last in your division and be capped out, but that's where the Columbus Blue Jackets find themselves right now, albeit they do have... You know, a really, you know, a, a glass overflowing with prospects. I mean, you already see Adam Fantilli there. Uh, David Juracek is, is going to be a, a good NHLer for a long time. And we think of Ken Johnson and we think of Voronkov, who's already there, and Marchenko, who's already there, and Jordan Dumais, who's already there, and Danton Matejchuk, who's on the horizon. Like, it, it is good for the future. Um, it looks to me like this is going to need someone who is young, energetic, highly intelligent, um, that has a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of creative ideas about how to turn this thing around. Because as much as they've been building up the uh, the pipeline of prospects here, you know, Jarmo Kekalainen has been, you know, making a lot of trades, trying to get this team into the playoffs, bringing in Line, bringing in Goudreau, bringing in Provorov, bringing in Severson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I circle around to people like Eric Tulski in Carolina. Um, I would, you know, throw Carmanos uh, in Buffalo, Scott in Edmonton, these types of you know, names that may not be familiar for casual NHL fans, but, I mean, you know the work that a lot of these people do. Um, do you have a, a thought on maybe not necessarily who should be next in Columbus, but what that person needs to have or ha- what abilities that person needs to have to, you know, unravel everything that's happening in Columbus and get this thing back on the right course? Yeah, I would definitely use the term creative because one and, and when you're going through their list of top end prospects, I you know, you immediately think of your check and what was the plan for him? Like what is how is it that it felt like you have the, you know, Kekalinen's bringing in one veteran after another, but are you really looking at what you have in a player in in a young guy and maximizing that potential? when he's, you know, in the AHL, but should he be in the NHL? Those are kind of also the disconnects. I think when you are a veteran GM with a team, you've been there over a decade, you want to win now. You're in that mode where you're thinking, I need to go and get this and get this and get this. But it's an old school way of thinking in some ways in today's NHL because it's all about the youth movement, right? It's all about how can we get younger, faster? You don't want to get older. Like you, and, and you even look at like Johnny Goudreau. It's not, he was still in his late 20s when you're bringing him in. It's a bit like with the Leafs and Tavares. When you bring in a guy who's, you know, getting that big contract and in his late 20s, going to have a couple great years, but then what does that look like over the life of some of these deals? You've got to get a, a GM in there who can focus on the future and making the most of the young talents that they have. You want to make the most of Adam Fantilli immediately, not wait a couple of years to see if you can acclimate and how that's going to happen. You want these guys in your lineup right now. And that's where it's fun and it's electrifying. There might be some, you know, yep. bad wins, you know, or some bad losses with, you know, those rookie mistakes, but sure. that's where Columbus needs to be. And you need somebody creative, somebody who's willing to learn and to lose but lo- but lose in ways where it doesn't feel like 
it does now for Columbus where you're supposed to be good and you're not because it just kept feeling like Tekaline was bringing in one veteran after another to make them good right now instead yeah. of giving you know, those prospects a chance. You know, it, it looked like, and I can understand the logic, like if you're Yarmo Kekalainen and you're going all in on a veteran coach in Mike Babcock and you look at the Metropolitan Division, uh, you might say to yourself, you know what, we got a chance here because the Penguins will probably be taking a step back. The Capitals taking a step back. We're not sure about the Rangers. They just got bounced by the Devils in the first round and the Devils are still a young team. Carolina's still probably the class of the, of the division. Uh, Philadelphia's, you know, uh, moving down, trying to rebuild that program. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to jump into that spot. So I can understand the logic. It just didn't work. And now they're left to deal with all the salary cap ramifications of it. We'll we'll see where that one heads. Um, Chris, and a couple of other things here. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were puzzled um, at Morgan Riley, not necessarily the five-game suspension, but the fact that he's appealing it. And this appeal will only be heard by the commissioner, Gary Bettman. Uh, I don't think that Gary Bettman is necessarily in the business of going against uh, the decision of any of the you know deputies beneath him. So I don't know that this goes anywhere. How do you see this appeal? I mean, it looks to me like you're throwing a snowball at the sun. <laughs> yeah, and when you look at even just the history this season of players attempting to appeal their suspensions, obviously... I mean, if Bettman does uh, does give in, then what does that say about his, you know, faith? I suppose in the people he's put in place to um, arbitrate these these yeah. situations. So I don't think it. I don't think that even Riley is going into this thinking that there's going to be some big change. I think it's more just about him, you know, wanting to exercise his options, wanting to maybe save face by, you know, when he comes back and saying, you know, whenever he does talk on it, saying, you know, I appealed it because I don't agree with it. And that's fine. That's your right. But it is absolutely, I I think it's a a fool's errand in that it's not that there shouldn't maybe be more, um, you know, from Bettman and, and just considering the five games, given the situation, given precedent, uh, but it's for him. I mean, he has to put his his backing, you would think, um, behind uh, the people that are employed to make these decisions. And that's obviously not him. But I think from Riley's perspective, it's really just more about him wanting to defend his own character and saying, like, I don't think that, mm. you know, what I did is deserving of this. But I wouldn't expect that there will be any change there. You've been at Scotiabank Arena for a lot of um, standing ovations. How loud mm-hmm. will the Morgan Riley standing ovation be when he finally comes back? <laughs> that could be a long one. That could be long and loud, and that's not. <laughs> there's, there's not. Hasn't been a ton of those, but I mean, it, it's. Yeah. You know, Jeff. You know as well as I do. It's so interesting what can galvanize a team, though. And I just yep. wonder what kind of of if what we saw from the Leafs against St. Louis, where they were missing three of their top players, was that the one-off, or are you going to see that again tonight against Philly? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's curious. Mm. I'm curious to see how the Leafs continue to maybe make this a bit of a rallying point for themselves, the fact that Riley has been ousted the way that he was when he finally shows some grit, and then immediately, you know, the gritless Leafs, lose their top defenseman for five games. I mean, it's just, it's pure, it's pure Leafs chaos. 
you know, old school Leafs fans are listening to you right now going like, I know what she's talking about. I remember when, uh, <laughs> when Matt Sundin went out and all of a sudden Lonnie Bahanas became a household name. I know exactly uh, what Shelton is talking about here. Um, listen, you mentioned grit and we think of Gritty and the Philadelphia Flyers and it is the Flyers facing off against the Maple Leafs tonight. And the Philadelphia Flyers have a new captain in Sean Couturier. Someone who about five minutes ago was getting blasted on the bench by his head coach, Sean Tortorella, only to turn around and score the game winner the other night. Uh, your thoughts on the Philadelphia Flyers, thoughts on Sean Couturier as the captain here. And can you see a scenario where the Flyers at trade deadline don't do anything? I, first of all, absolutely could see that scenario. And I just think that might be their best bet at this point. I mean, you're in a position as a rebuilding playoff team. And how often does that ever happen where you're, you, you, we talk about the blue jackets. I mean, the blue jackets could be the next flyers in the sense of what is Philadelphia done? They're leaning on a lot of their young players to step up and, and they have a, they have great veterans in the mix and that's what's worked for them is that they have low key low-cost veterans, but it's a lot about their next wave. And John Tortorella, the, the thing about no. him is that, yeah, he will scream at you, but he'll also still give you a chance. And that's what Couturier, I mean, as the captain especially, you have to know your coach, and you have to know he's trying to push your butt. That's what he does. And obviously he knows at times mm-hmm. how to get the most out of those guys. I've been a big Couturier fan for a long time. I think he's a great leader there it makes sense to put in yeah. place a captain who can ferry this ship along. Uh, but I would very much like to see Philadelphia just go, you know, why be sellers? Why stop the train? It's going and you put yourself in a good position, keep it up and stand <laughs> pat at the deadline, surprise us all. And I think that's a great move. Danny Briere, he's the kind of young mind that Columbus needs. And that's mm-hmm. what I wonder if they won't be targeting someone <laughs> fresh like that. Yeah, you know what? You could probably throw Matthew Darsh into that conversation too, uh, with mm-hmm. uh, of course yeah. assistant with the with the Tampa Bay Lightning, former Blue Jacket himself. Uh, before we let you go here, um, real quick, have about sixty seconds for this, Kristen. Um, amongst all the teams, and I'm not so sure uh, how busy it's going to be here, um, but which team intrigues you the most at trade deadline? Oh, I I really wonder about some of these teams on the bubble. I really wonder about the Islanders. I wonder about, you know, the Devils. What are these teams going to do knowing that they're in such a competitive division? You want to push your way into the mix. Are you one player away from doing that? And do you have to kind of maximize your opportunity right now? Because I don't know if some of these clubs are going to be able to, you know, get their way in. And, you know, if your Pittsburgh is another one for me in the Metro, what are you doing with Jake Gensel? Are you holding on to him or not? Because that's a guy that I know uh, there's a lot of interest in. And if if they don't want to move him now, does that mean they think they can win this year? And is that a fool's errand in itself? So I'm looking at the Metro. I yeah. think there's a lot of clubs there that it's so competitive, Jeff. It's just you've got to wonder who's pushing their chips in and who's stepping back right now. I think Carolina makes a move. After that, I have a whole bunch of question marks. Like the mm-hmm. Rangers, you know, they, they don't want to let go of that first-round pick because of the draft. No. Um, and, like, after that, who's who's making moves in the in the Metropolitan Division? Like, I kind of look at all the moves. Like, all the moves might just end up being made in the Western Conference. 
Like caps yeah. will probably sell. Islanders are capped out. The Devils might be able to make a move with a goaltender. Flyers may just stand pat. Carolina Hurricanes will probably make a move and they may end up making the goalie move. But I don't know. I'm not so sure who's I'm not sure who's 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 buying in the Metropolitan here. It looks like there might be, you know, a majority of sellers. Uh when you look at Washington, you look at Pittsburgh, maybe the Philadelphia Flyers, and certainly the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't know, man. This is this is gonna be intriguing. It's probably gonna go day by day and we'll see what the, where the standings are at come March eighth, and then we'll make up our decisions then. Uh it's always great having you on. Thanks as always for stopping by. Yes. For sure. Thanks, Jeff. Didn't know, so did you have one more point to make? Go for go for it. You got time. Oh, well, I wonder if it'll just be in the Metro, like, who's following who? Who makes the first move? And then that's how the dominoes go, yeah. you know? That's that's what I wonder. If one yep. team starts buying or selling, I wonder if they're all just like, all right, we're selling, let's go. <laughs> we saw that last year. We, yeah, we saw that, you know, you're bang on, because we saw that last year in the East, right? Yeah, exactly. Tried to, everybody tried to load up. Your, I think you're bang on about that. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. We really appreciate it. Thank you. The, uh, the great Kristen Shelton from ESPN, a uh, little tour around the NHL. The headline story of the day, if you've missed it, uh, Jarmo Kekalainen is now ex of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, the team firing their general manager uh, announced earlier today. Aaron Portsline from The Athletic, who covers CBJ, drops by in a couple of moments. Elliot Friedman coming up in hour two. Also, Laura Stacy from uh, PWHL Montreal. She will be aboard here, too. Back on the headline story in moments. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Elliot Friedman coming up top of the hour. In the meantime, here's the question. Why now? Not so much why. I think we understand why. But why now? Yarmo Kekalainen dismissed as the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Our good friend Aaron Portsline from The Athletic, who covers CBJ on a full-time basis, joins me now. Aaron, how are you today? Doing all right. Doing all right. Thanks for having me. It's a pretty newsy day uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, overshadowing the uh, the stadium series story is there'll be a new general manager uh, steering the ship of the uh, the SS Blue Jacket when the stadium series is uh, is upon Columbus. Um, the the question that I think we're all wondering is why now? We're three weeks out of the uh, the trade deadline. I heard you asking JD at the press conference. You know, essentially the same question. He talked about his his back surgery and uh, communication between himself and uh, and Yarmo Kekalainen. But you know, piecing other parts of the puzzle together here, maybe it goes as far back as Mike Babcock going nuclear in the off season. Would have been able to put together as to why are we talking about this on February the fifteenth, three weeks away from the trade window closing yeah it is curious timing i mean you, you'd think if they were going to do this mid-season they would have done it during their uh, prolonged break the all-star game in the, yeah. in the bye week um i i do have reason to believe that the process actually started then um and i don't i don't know that john davidson has a hire in place already i think he's got a really good idea of where he's going and i don't think he does this without knowing that he's going to get a crack at a person that that uh, that he would like to hire, and I, I think those 
conversations maybe have already started. Um, I think also there was a growing sense. I don't think ownership would put it this way. Certainly John Davidson did not that if you don't trust the direction of your team, you don't see where it's going, then there's no better time to do it than right then. And why let that, it's kind of like, when, when do you get rid of scouts? So often you see them fired right after the draft and you think, well, if these guys aren't the right guys, why did you just, just let them pick all this year's batch of players? Um, if you don't trust yeah. your GM, you go through another, I don't want to say don't trust, because I do think they trusted Yarmo. I think it still was a workable relationship, but I think they felt like they needed a new direction. And if that's the case, why wait through mm-hmm. another, another trade deadline? You see, it, it almost seemed as if there, there's a, a few things I want. I'd, I'd like to pull out of that answer. It almost seemed as if there was. It at least felt like you know you make a move like this in advance of of trade deadline. Like I wondered off the top of the show if there was something that Yarmo Kekalainen wanted to do with this team that was blocked from above, and then the feeling became, well, if we're not going to let him do what he wants, if we really philosophically disagree at this point about the future of the Blue Jackets, why are we going ahead with him leading into trade deadline? Do you know if there was anything that Kekalainen wanted to do that was blocked from above? Maybe it's a little bit early to to answer that one, but do you know if that would be true or close to the truth or, I don't know, warmed up by the truth? I don't know how you want to describe it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific. There's certainly nothing I know of specific that was the GM wanting to do this and ownership or John Davidson, the two people above him saying, hey, we're not doing that. And then it becomes obvious, what are we mm-hmm. doing here? I don't know of anything specific like that. I do think, as, as I've said for a little while now, they've, they've sort of, for a while, you could define the, the, the direction of this club, what the thinking was, what they're building toward. It had seemed in yep. recent months that they'd kind of reached the cul-de-sac here where it's like, okay, where's the road go from here? What, is, what, are, what are we doing with Gaudreau, Line A? We've got these big-ticket players, Wierenski. The goalie is, a, yep. is an issue, a big-ticket player. Uh, but at the same time, you've got this cluster of really bright, uh, potentially really good NHL mm. players that have started to realize that at times in the NHL. It's not hopeless here. But what is the direction? I think the other thing that has to be considered here, for all of the good things that Yarmo Kekalina did here, there have been player retention issues in Columbus. There's, there's no other way around that. Now, there have been different reasons that players have wanted out. But there have been more than a few contract negotiations that ended, uh, sometimes with deals, mm-hmm. sometimes with not, but in a lot of cases, bitter or frustrated or needing to really repair a relationship on the other side of that. They're coming into a stretch now here, and I'm thinking of the Chinikov, Fantilli, Johnson, uh, Marchenko. These are not household names for a lot of people, but they will be soon where there are FAs, and and this is where teams make decisions with, do we go big long-term contracts here, or do we continue to to carry the hammer in these negotiations? Uh, Where is this going? Can you fostered this group into wanting to stay together and realize something here in Columbus? Or is it going to be fractured apart like it has been so often the last couple of years? You think Josh Anderson leaving, uh, Seth Jones leaving, Atkinson, uh, it goes on and on with, with what exactly is the direction of this club? Can you keep all of this bright prospects together? And I think that's a legitimate question. 
So I, I'm I'm glad you got me there because here's the thing that I've wondered about because like this morning when I found out the news, so you sort of trace back, okay, so what were all the moves that Jarmo Kekalainen made? Like yeah. what led to this? And listen, the most recent is the obvious one with Mike Babcock in the off season, but you know you stretch it back even further, and you outlined a couple of players that uh, that left. Um, although they are still kind of dining out here with the future now with uh, with, with Seth Jones's deal and the, and the players that they picked up in uh, mm-hmm. in the draft, but. How much of this, let me know if you think this is a reach, how much of this goes back to 2019 and the decision to let Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky walk? Because if you don't do that, you can get a lot of pieces in return for those players at that time. Instead, they said, forget it. It's important. Playoffs are important for this organization. It's worth sacrificing the future, knowing that these two guys aren't going to be here for, for 1920. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much wrapped up in that because in, in so many ways, and this will, this will be a chuckle for many people listening to this. In so many ways, 2019, they won one playoff series. One, they got beaten the second yeah. round. And yeah. yet so many people still in Columbus, Ohio say, oh, that was absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. Not only did they keep those guys knowing that they probably weren't going to be able to resign them, and they also added to that. Remember the Duchesne trade? Like, they went all in yeah. that year. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, they went in. And, oh, it was the craziest thing where you're like, where is this going to go? Are they going to move Panarin for pieces? And not only did they keep them, they added to it. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was mind-boggling at the time. For so many people, that's the brightest memory they've ever had with the Blue Jackets. 23 years. This is the 24th. They won one playoff series. That mm-hmm. was it. So it's the high water mark. A lot of people would say it's absolutely worth it. In hindsight, you wonder where they would be today if they had if they had not made those decisions. Easy to say, uh, easy to question. Sure, but but a big big move. And, I, and you mentioned the Babcock thing. I think that's where really this idea that that geez maybe this John Davidson and Yarmo Kekalainen thing the combo is just not working if that is what due diligence brought you to. Uh, I will say this, and mm-hmm. we've had a couple of experiences with this. No one's really sure sometimes what a president does, and that goes for John Davidson here in Columbus. What does that chair do? What is the expectation? But when John Davidson left to go to the Rangers for a couple of years, it really fell apart here. When he's been out of the picture this year because of health issues, he, he indicated earlier today, mm-hmm. It, it falls apart quickly. Uh, John Davidson is a people person. If you've ever been around him, you know he's a gregarious, warm. When he says something, people say, that is true. We believe him. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Yarmo sometimes, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, uh, it does not have, uh, I, I was quite fond of him, but many people um, don't have a warm interaction with him he's very much the boss the players are very much the players and sometimes that that i think that that sort of human touch that john davidson brings when it's not around it's missed desperately so who then or maybe what qualities then 
does the next general manager need to have? Like we see this in coaching. Yeah. You know this, Aaron. Like you see this in coaching. It's it's a pendulum swing. Hard ass coach, player coach. Yeah, player coach yep. blows up. Here comes the hard ass coach. We need discipline and structure, right? Absolutely. We see it's a metronome. We've seen it countless yeah. times. Um, do we see a metronome effect here with the next general manager? Well, I think you do, yes. And and I, one thing I, I thought was interesting, and he kind of backtracked a little bit on it later, but one of the things John Davidson made clear in his comments today is the search is going to look outside the building. And I think that's, I think that's key, and I think that's where they're going to go. I think there are some people in the building mm-hmm. who say, interesting candidate. Chris Clark is a really well-respected person. Uh, he's done great work with the Cleveland franchise here in the AHL. He's going to be an NHL mm-hmm. GM one day if he chooses to be. Not sure if this is the right situation. Uh, an outside voice, a people person. Um, one name that has surfaced, I think he's, he's surfacing with a lot of jobs right now, is Matthew Darsh, a former Blue Jackets yep. player. Um, a very personable person. Now, when I say I don't mean pushover, I don't mean it's just friendly. I mean somebody who knows how to relate to people and can really foster a, a, a family in the room. We don't know that Darsh can do that. He's not done it before, but he's doing pretty good work in Tampa, and he's highly regarded around the league. That's a name to keep in mind. Another name that, that I yep. think you'd, you'd have to offer something bigger than just GM because he's currently got that job in a really sweet place. But Chris McFarland was here for years under Doug McClain, later under Scott Housen, and again under Jarmo Kekulainen, very well respected yep. in, in Colorado. Is he ready for a bigger role, GM plus, in Columbus? That would, that's what it would mm. take to attract someone like that. Um, Chris McFarland is the type. I don't know how some people do this. But he can negotiate a contract with you and have a beer with you afterward. Um, he's that kind of guy. Players love him, in my experience. Um, so those are two names mm-hmm. to keep in mind, and I'm sure the list will grow in the coming days. Listen, it's a it's a desirable position. Um, yeah. On the Very one hand, so. there's a real there's a really not of a salary cap. Like it's a it, this this the salary cap's a pretzel, and yeah, you have to undo that. This is going to take someone that has the the energy and patience and attention to detail to get it done. But I don't need to tell you what the uh, what the prospect list looks like for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. Like it's impressive. Sure. Like, once you deal with the salary cap up top, like, you start to start, I mean, listen, Fantilli's already there. We'll see with you with your check here. I know that's been a uh, um, uh, a contained fire. Let's just call it that, Aaron. It's yeah. been a contained yeah. fire. It hasn't been a, yeah. a, ten, a 10 alarm blaze. It's been a contained fire so far for him. But Danton Matejchuk, you go through, and Ken Johnson, and yeah. uh, Marchenko, and Voronkov. Like, there's some really, really good young players this organization yeah. has. You just need someone that can sort out the situation up top. Let's call it that. Yeah. Well, let me let me say this too. I, I think that's one thing that's really attractive. Obviously, is the prospect pool, the young players, many of whom are already here and already already developing and playing. I think the other thing that people around the league, uh, you know, you can draw a lot of conclusions about Columbus, new franchise, whatever, middle of nowhere city, flyover country, yada yada. If you've been here and you know the situation here. And you look at the box scores, 18,700 people here to see Tampa Bay, the first game out of the break for a team that's last placed in the Eastern yeah. Conference. 600 standing room only tickets for a regular season game for a team that's miles out of the playoffs. The play, the, the, this is a sleeping jewel. And that's how a lot of people heard from some, some potential candidates already who were like, Mike. God, if you could be the first person to win there. And, and all of this exists, 
think of the young players from Columbus, Ohio, that have developed into NHL players. Like, this city has put a lot of players into the league already. It's a credit to it. Yeah. It is it is above what many people think as a hockey market. And in 24 years now, it's had one playoff series. They haven't gone on a run yet. They haven't had that mm-hmm. that fall, that spring that takes the city on a ride and builds you into a, a hotbed. And it's still a very respectable hockey market that's just really waiting to be realized. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, always great having you on board. We're up against the clock. Thanks, as always, for stopping by on a really newsy yeah. day. I know you're very busy. Thanks for, thanks for parking some time for me today. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Thanks, man. There is uh, the great Aaron Portsline from The Athletic. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Vet Local, Matt Marchese. Uh, we got the Oilers at the Blues. The puck line is Oilers minus one and a half. The under is hitting 12 of the last 14 Oiler games and in seven of the last 10 between these two in St. Louis. St. Louis is seven and two straight up mm-hmm. in their last nine. And of course, the Oilers are 18 and two straight up in their last 20. So a couple of things here with the St. Louis Blues, who most recently lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was a really horrible start for them. But that's kind of been the hallmark of the St. Louis Blues season so far. These slow starts and do nots. Uh, do not have a slow start against the Edmonton Oilers or do so at your own peril. Uh, Edmonton's coming off that big win against the Detroit Red Wings where Connor McDavid went off specifically in that third period. Um, you know, as, as someone as someone tweeted to me uh, uh, not too long ago, you know, Cody Ceci has now scored his first career, or not career, his first goal this season with the Edmonton Oilers. Connor Brown in 42 games is still goal-less, but all will be forgiven if Connor Brown's first goal of the season is a Stanley Cup winner. Oilers and the Blues should be good. Blues are in that wild. Wouldn't that be a great story? His only goal is he's anyway. We'll fantasize about that. Uh, Blues second in the uh, wild card in the Western Conference. Uh, Kings, Nashville, Calgary, Minnesota. Dare we say Seattle as well? I'll end that conversation as well. Tonight, interesting for both squads. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction. Your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Elliot Friedman on the other side. most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at uh, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. So a huge game tomorrow, Scotiabank Arena, PWHL Montreal facing off against Toronto. Get that rivalry going. Montreal already one of the top two teams in the PWHL. And don't look now, but Toronto is stringing wins together. Natalie Spooner scoring all the goals, as we saw last night as well and Toronto becoming a force in the league, as many expected. Laura Stacey joins me now from PWHL, I believe on the bus right now. Is that true or false, Laura Stacey? That is true. We just left Montreal, and we're heading to Toronto. Okay, so a couple of bus questions first, then. Uh, One, uh, who are you sitting next to? And two, who is the most annoying player on the bus? That's funny. Uh, I actually am not sitting next to anybody right now. I got my own seat. We have uh, two buses going to Toronto, uh, so we actually are all spread out, uh, not in our usual seats, which is kind of nice. 
most annoying. Okay. Um, well, there's someone yes. sitting right in front of me named Erin Ambrose. Uh, she's not oh, annoying, no. but uh, she definitely pokes her head through her little hole sometimes and gives me some dirty looks, so I'll have to say her. Yeah. You, uh, you, you poor thing, having to sit behind uh, Aaron Ambrose for a, for a bus ride from Montreal to Toronto. Uh, well, a, a couple of things here, and I, I want to get into this game tomorrow because it's poised to set the uh, the new record for attendance um, at a at a women's hockey game. Very much looking forward to that. Also, want to get into PWHL. But before we get there, I'm really curious about the rivalry series um, and this year's specifically. So, going into Game Four, US is winning three nothing. How were the Americans in that game? Like from the beginning of the game right until almost before the final buzzer. Was there like a, an expectation like, yeah, we're, we're, we're sweeping the Canadians here? I mean, I, I mean, I think a little bit. It's, it's hard to say. We, I think they, every time they come out, they, they do try and put their best, best game forward and uh, do obviously think that they're going to come out with the win. And, and so do we. And I think uh, what helped us this year is, is knowing that we had done it before. Just last year, we had kind of come back from uh, being down 3 three nothing as well. So I think having that confidence of like, okay, it takes one game uh, and then we're back in this was kind of our mentality. So right. um, I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I do think they definitely uh, definitely had some thoughts or uh, were hoping that whether it was game four or five, that the, they were ending it earlier than, than taking it all the way to seven. What was there, like, I'm curious as well, like, what was the moment where you said, you know what, we have this thing? Like, there's always a moment in, in a, in a seven-game series like that. Like, listen, the first three, as we all know, you know, owned by the United States, and then Canada comes back for the reverse sweep, uh, winning winning four games. Like, what was the moment where you and your teammates looked at each other and said, you know what, we got this? Well, I, think, I would say there was two moments. I think, uh, kind of like we said, when we won that game four, um, and we were like, okay, this was yeah. our, our little bit of hope. Uh, we were like, okay, well, we've been in this situation before. It takes one win. We get that win, and now we're rolling. So I think after that game four, we all kind of looked at each other in the locker room and said, it would be fun to do this all over again. Like, let's repeat uh, what we did from last year. Uh, so I think that was definitely one moment. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the one where we were like, okay, we're completely winning this thing, but I think it was definitely like a little piece of hope of, okay, we're not out. Now it's just one foot in front of the other. Uh, and then I would say as soon as we mm-hmm. got to Game 7, I think the momentum in our favor, winning two games on, at home, uh, going to Minnesota, I think all of us kind of were like, okay, we've, we've pulled it back. We brought it all the way back to a tie. Uh, now we're going to Minnesota. Yeah. We're putting it all on the line, and we're coming home with this thing. So uh, I think those were kind of the two moments that, that we all kind of put our heads together and we're like, this is, this is ours. You know, so much has changed in the women's game this year, certainly with the with the new league, the PWHL. Does it change? I mean, certainly listen, the, the, the quality of, of women's hockey is going to continue to get better and better uh, with this league. Does anything change for you, your teammates, uh, the United States, Finland, anyone? Does anything profoundly change internationally because of the presence of the PWHL? change but I definitely think it'll improve the international game I think whether it's uh, all the Czech players playing in this new league the Canadians the Americans I think it's going to completely push our game uh, to the next level I think the competition on a daily basis against with and against the best players in the world uh, it's hard not to make uh, our everybody around better but also the international uh, league the international games are going to be much better as well so uh, I don't know if it'll profoundly Mm. change anything uh, but what I do think is that it'll it'll completely raise the level and 
uh, the more we can get those European players over and playing in the PWHL, uh, the more impact uh, hopefully their teams will continue to improve uh, at the same rate as, as everybody who is playing in the PWHL as well. You know, we just saw, let's take this at PWHL here. I'm curious from a player's perspective. Um, and listen, this is a reality of hockey. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, the nature of, you know, how this is felt throughout, you know, various various dressing rooms amongst the six teams. Uh, there's a pretty big trade just made between Minnesota and Boston. Like, this is the first one made in the PWHL, and we know that other teams are looking to make trades in advance of the trade deadline. Was there a sort of chilling cascading effect through various rooms when it sort of dawns on everybody that, hold on a second, uh, we can make trades here and someone we're skating with today may not be here tomorrow. Was there anything profound like that through the, through the Montreal room? For sure. Uh, I think it, it, it kind of hit us in two different parts. I think the first one was exactly that. It was like, whoa, okay, this is real. Uh, I could be moving cities at any point. It's a business now. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Uh, what's going to happen with our team or, oh, should I even answer my phone calls from our GM kind of thing? I know that was said <laughs> a lot. So um, I think that was kind of everybody's first initial reaction and emotion. And then the second was like, yeah. okay, like let's, let's zoom out and realize how cool and special and impactful this truly is because now it is a business. Now we are able to be traded and completely move cities because another GM wants us or whatever the case may be. So I think it's a big moment for women's hockey, the fact that a, a trade at, at that capacity where you're completely moving your life to a different city, uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I don't think we ever thought that we would be there. I was going to say, like, this is this is what, you know, the uh, the, the old PWHPA athletes have been talking about, you know, the the entire time, too. So I, I would imagine, like, I'm, I'm, I'm bobbleheading what you're saying. You're saying, like, yeah, it's going to be uh, impactful on a, on, a, on a couple of different levels here. Okay, so tomorrow, Scotiabank Arena, PWHL Montreal facing off against Toronto. And, listen, Toronto has really started to, to turn things around here. Nat Spooner is scoring, you know, scored a hat-trick last night, two goal performances here and there. She's been a, a force. She has 10 goals, um, uh, you know, a, a number of different players. Uh, you know, Nurse got a, a goal last night as well and, and a helper as well. Um, Toronto is really starting to turn things around here too. Uh, it's important to have your big cities as your healthy franchises. And I know that Montreal is looking to make this one of the marquee rivalries. Your thoughts on going into this one tomorrow against a much improved Toronto squad? Oh, it's a huge game. Toronto's obviously doing really well right now. They're a great team. Um, play with a lot of structure, play with a lot of intensity, and uh, have a lot of great players on that team. And we know that coming in. And I think the last time we played them in Montreal, we didn't put our best foot forward. So uh, I think our team is coming in uh, with a, a full uh, load of excitement about uh, playing in Scotiabank, playing in front of 19,000 fans, uh, but also kind of uh, putting our best foot forward and, and showing Toronto that, that we are better than what we put forth last time. And, and I think we're really excited about it. You know, there's so many, um, so many firsts uh, in this league this year, whether it's, you know, first game, first goal, uh, first jailbreak goal, uh, Emma Malte, bless you. Um, you know, this we're, we're, we're poised to set a record uh, tomorrow in Toronto between Montreal and Toronto. What's that going to be like for you? I mean, there's been so many different emotions for so many players. What's tomorrow going to mean for you and your team? Oh, it's, it's surreal. I think 19,000 fans uh, are around there in Scotiabank Arena uh, selling out. Uh, look, uh, fortunate for Montreal, we've been in a, in a ton of these games so far this season, whether it was Ottawa's home opener heading to Minnesota, 
been our home opener. I think uh, every single first, like you mentioned, has been surreal and, and amazing. And I think uh, it's important for us to take it all in and embrace the moment and enjoy the moment because you don't know when those next ones are going to come. So uh, I think for all of us, it's, it's about embracing tomorrow. It's about enjoying tomorrow. Uh, but it's also coming out and playing mm-hmm. hockey because uh, that's what we need to do here. And we need to try our best to come out with as many points as we can. Are you surprised that the the support initially from so many different corners that this league has received? You know, I talked to, you know, just a, a couple of friends of mine who have daughters that play and, you know, they used to always talk about the NHL and, and now in the dressing room and afterwards they're talking about the PWHL and getting home in time to, to watch the games. And did you see this? And did you see what happened between, you know, Boston and Minnesota? Did you see Toronto and Ottawa? Like, the support for this has been exceptional. Would you describe it as the same? Oh, 100%. I've been blown away, and I think it's far exceeded our expectations of of how this was going to go and, and where it was going to go. I think you, you see the posters in the stands of, um, I want to be a 2036 draft pick, and it gives you shivers because it's actually something a lot of little girls are dreaming about now. And I think we said it so much. Yeah. Uh, we said it all the time that if you see it, you can be it. And if you see it, you can dream it. And I think uh, it's really, really, really coming to life. And uh, I, I know we believed it, but I don't think we ever thought that um, this was going to be the impact that it had so quickly. And even just walking around when we were in Boston, when we were in Montreal, and people were like, oh, uh, you're the PWHL team that's playing here now. And uh, I think it's just the amount of people, but also the different um, types yeah. of people and the different types of, of uh, situations that people are coming out to watch and support. It's, yes, we still have our, our diehard hockey fans, our diehard PWHL Montreal fans, but I think the other corners, the other nooks of the world that we're touching uh, are really special. You know, one of the best, well, we'll end on this one. One of the best signs that I've seen so far in all the games, there was um, three women, I think they they looked like they were in their early 20s. It was a game, I think it was a game in Toronto, and they had a sign that said, if we knew there was going to be a league, we would have tried harder, uh, which is pretty funny and probably pretty revealing as well. Isn't that the best side? Because the best side that I've seen from the PWHL fans uh, all season long. Uh, end on this one. Uh, growing up, did you ever imagine you would be playing in a league like this? Not at all. I think when I was a little kid, I uh, my first moment or first uh, spark of women's hockey was watching the 2002 Winter Olympics on TV and seeing Team Canada get their yeah. gold medals around their neck and singing the national anthem. And I always just dreamed about playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs or, or playing in the NHL because that's all I knew and that's all I saw. And uh, Obviously, the dream yeah. of playing for your country and at the Olympics was uh, something that burned really bright inside of me, but I, I never once had a thought of, wow, when I graduate from college, I'm going to be able to play professional women's hockey. Yeah. I, I just I, I never saw it, so I never dreamed it. And I think as soon as I graduated, the girls and the head started or were playing in the CWHL and uh, there was a bunch of different leagues and things that existed, but um, I, I still, even in all of that time since I've graduated, never thought that this is where we would be today. And I think uh, it's really, mm-hmm. really, really blown us away. And I think we're uh, starting something great, but I, I can't wait to see uh, how special it, it grows into be. Absolutely. Uh, listen, you're a big part of it uh, and always have been. Uh, good luck tomorrow against Toronto. And uh, Aaron Ambrose really likes it when you kick the seat in front of you. So, uh, so don't be shy, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Nice chat with you.
There you go. Uh, the great um, Laura Stacy from PWHL Montreal. They'll face off against PWHL Toronto tomorrow. Scotiabank Arena, 7 o'clock Eastern. Poised to break an attendance record there. So it is going to be a very busy night around the NHL this evening. And, you know, a couple of things. You know, Chicago is facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, Pittsburgh's got some decisions to make. I mentioned that with Elliot Friedman in the uh, previous segment uh, as it relates to Jake Gensel. And we shall, you know, cross our fingers here that the update is okay and that he's not too hurt. Uh, left the game yesterday as the Pittsburgh Penguins lost 5 2. Uh, to the Florida Panthers. Tonight, they'll place off against the Chicago Blackhawks, was back-to-back for Pittsburgh, and it sounds as if Connor Bedard may be coming back early. And all the sidebars to this are the obvious ones. I really, well, one, you hope that Bedard is healthy enough to rejoin the Chicago Blackhawks lineup. This is a team that is desperate to score goals, and you can really tell how different the Blackhawks team is without Bedard already, and he's still a rookie. I just want to see more face-offs between Bedard and Sidney Crosby. Because if you go back to the beginning of the season, it's probably a face-off that Sidney Crosby was thinking about all summer long, and that there was no way Crosby was going to lose that opening draw against uh, against uh, uh, against Connor Bedard, and did he ever snap that one back with authority? So more Bedard, Sidney Crosby face-offs. Thank you very much. But also in that game as well last night, the Florida Panthers, one thing that I wanted to make sure that we got on the show at some point this week is Matthew Kachuk. So Matthew Kachuk last night, one goal, two assists, three points last night for the Panthers. They went 5-2, as I mentioned, over the Penguins. If uh, If you go back to the flipping of the calendar... Okay, so 2024, no one has more points so far in the NHL than Matthew Kachuk. We all know about the slowish start to the season uh, for Matthew Kachuk, but he is very much back, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew Kachuk, since the calendar flipped, has 32 points. In second, anybody around the room? Yes, you in the back? Very good. Nathan McKinnon. With 29 points, Connor McDavid with 29 points, Nikita Kucherov with 29 points, and we should probably throw David Pasternak in there as well with 27. That is your top five. But number one in the NHL, going back to the calendar flipping, is Matthew Kuchuk with 32 points so far. He is back, ladies and gentlemen. Also, Winnipeg last night. Listen, this may not have been... uh, the most exciting game. I know a lot of San Jose Sharks games this season hasn't haven't exactly been exciting. Uh, one nothing. Winnipeg wins. Connor Hellebuck gets the shutout, and for the uh, you know thirtieth straight appearance, Connor Hellebuck has allowed three goals or less. Big shutout for Hellebuck yesterday, and Hellebuck hitting the twenty-five game win mark in the process. And let's face it, rightly or wrongly, and it's wrongly. Um, but it's not the writers or broadcasters who vote on this one, the Vesna Trophy. This is the one that's voted on by the general managers. And what is the one stat that general managers overwhelmingly look at when it comes to voting on the Vesna Trophy? Wins. They don't drill down on the save percentage and what does, you know, Valaket's clear sight analytics say about this goaltender versus that goaltender and really, you know, squint hard at some of the numbers and try to evaluate what's really going on there between the pipes. We can face it. General managers look at wins. Generally, which goaltender has the most wins is a goaltender that wins the Vesna trophy. I've always liked what Brian Burke said about this. 
Brian Burke, whenever you ask him about general managers voting on the Vesna, and he's not excluding himself. You know, Berkey's always gone out of his way to say, look, I'm part of this problem too. Berkey's point was always this. Why do we have general managers voting on the Vesna trophy? That is the one position where historically general managers have messed up on the most. That is the one area we have maybe the least amount of understanding and the least amount of success. So why are we the ones that are voting on it? Nonetheless, whether you're a general manager looking at Connor Hellebuck and seeing 25 wins or you're looking at the micro stats and you're having a look at Steve Valakiet's ClearSight Analytics, either way you slice it, Connor Hellebuck is having a tremendous season. And no matter if you're the analytics hipster or the casual general manager that just looks at wins, right now you're voting for the Vesna. Connor Hellebuck's on top, isn't he? Thanks to everyone who was part of today's show. You just heard from Laura Stacy a couple of moments ago from PWHL Montreal. They have a huge game tomorrow against Toronto at Scotiabank Arena, an attendance record poised to be broken there. Elliot Friedman and Aaron Portsline both commented on the news of the day, and that is the dismissal of Jarmo Kekalainen as general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Thank you to those two, and thanks to Kristen Shelton for uh, helping kick off the program alongside Matt Marchese. Uh, Kristen, of course, from ESPN. Thanks to David Sis and Matt Marchese, our producers, Board Op Lance Kennedy, and our TV director, the returning and great General Nick. Back tomorrow.